Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason. I've got Stewie joining me in person in the new podcast studio at our work. This is a bit of a different setup, but how are you doing? Very good, mate. I'm feeling very professional right now. I might not look professional and the camera is uh, making sure that everybody knows that. But excited to news- use the new gear and uh, excited to talk about a fantastic movie, mate. Yes, it was a fantastic movie and uh, it is getting into the final couple of days at the 2023 Australian Open and so we're doing another tennis movie, this time 2017 biographical tennis drama Battle of the Sexes. I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis. The film tells the true story of the 1973 tennis match between former women's world number one Billie Jean King and men's champion and chauvinist pig Bobby Riggs. The film documents the story of the original nine distancing themselves from the main tour circuit led by King as the women fight for fairness and equality in the sport. A showdown ensues between King and Riggs titled The Battle of the Sexes where King wins three sets to love and changes the course of history and attitudes towards women in sport. So with that in mind and having watched it, Stewie, what were your first thoughts? Very presumptuous of you to say that I've watched it. No, I'm joking. Of course I watched it. Um... This was quite the palate cleanser after uh, last week's Dumpster Fire. Fantastic movie. Emma Stone, top notch. Um, Steve Carell, I've said to you many times this week, uh, anything Steve Carell's in, I'm I'm willing to give a crack. And uh, he didn't let me down, mate. I really liked it. What about you? (sighs) That sigh, Stewie, was the sign that we have done a good movie. (laughs) 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 After so long, as you said. Um, yeah, it has been a few weeks and a, kind of a rocky start to goals on film for 2023, um, I must say. But I think that this film, um, you know, is a bit fresh in terms of what we've done so far this year. And I think just a movie overall as well. Um, I was really pleased with this, watching this movie. Um, I hadn't seen it before this week either. Um, and I left myself, I left wondering like why I hadn't seen it. Like, I think that, you know, like it's been out for six years now and I remember like seeing so much of it, like, you know, after it was released and in the years gone by and I knew that it was one that I wanted to watch, obviously Emma Stone, Steve Carell, you know, them combined, um, they're great together. Um, they've been in a movie together as, um, before, um, I think it was called crazy stupid love. Yeah, so, um, you know, like, they've got the dynamic. I mean, like, it was different dynamic in that movie. I think um, Emma Stone played Steve Carell's daughter in that movie and now they're playing uh, tennis rivals. But I think that, yeah, I think that this movie, it left me, like, feeling really good um, in terms of, like, the storyline, how it was presented. And I found it was really, really accurate. I mean, we'll get into the accuracy a bit later, but I found it really accurate. And, you know, everything that was sort of referenced or, um, you know, you saw on the screen... I believe, um, you know, they did a really good documentation of the actual history behind it. And so I think that that really improved the way that, you know, it was viewed um, and it was viewed by audiences and, yeah, me, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is a, uh, it's a really good movie. Emma Stone, Steve Carell, sports, it's tennis season. What's not to love, man, you know? Um, it's, just, it's just a great movie. I love the historical apps aspect too. I didn't know, I'm not going to profess to know, but uh, some of the things you told me that I know you're going to touch on later on are just phenomenal and, uh, you know, it speaks to some of the tropes that perhaps some other movies have been missing that we've covered on Goals on Film in the past. Yeah, I think it's been a while since we've done a biographical film as well and I think that these are all really, like, interesting to do um, because you can openly explain or, you know, dive into how well they do depict what part of history they're wanting to and so, like I said, I think that this like nails it probably about 90, 95%. Um, and yeah, I think that that's just the make of a really good movie. I think that they obviously wanted to do it really well. And I think that that comes across when you do watch it. Absolutely, mate. I couldn't have put it better myself. Let's dive into the category, shall we? No worries. Just before we do that, one thing that I think this movie did really well is I think they really caught the essence of uh, what a piece of shit Margaret Court is. <laughs> Um, you know, hard agree. Yep. A hundred percent, mate. Um, you know, like it briefly touches on her homophobic attitude. Um, and you know, she suspects that Billie Jean King, um, is having a same sex relationship with Marilyn. And, uh, she says something about it being immorality and a sin. You do know what she is, don't you? That 
woman with Billie Jean? Hairdresser? I think it's her lover. That girl. And Billie Jean. I... She's married. They usually are. That's what happens on an all-women's circuit, Barry. Licentiousness, immorality, sin. Really? Because she shouldn't be allowed on tour. On the contrary. Well, isn't she ashamed of herself? She is ashamed. It's exactly what she is. And her game's going to fall to pieces. And I remember uh, seeing that scene um, of her in the car talking to her husband, having just noticed them coming out of the bedroom together. And, uh, yeah, I had a bit of a chuckle to myself because, obviously, she makes her uh, views well-known, uh, the real-life Margaret Court. And I feel like, you know, this sort of told that, you know, she does, does have those views and she did back then. And so I think that that's a great depiction. Um, I don't, obviously condone those views or anything like that but I did have a bit of a laugh that uh you know like they kept true to uh her views and uh displayed those in the film <laughs> yeah absolutely mate um it's interesting hey because um it did, it wasn't really common knowledge in 2017 was it no I, I think that it did come out start to come out sort of um in the time between 2017 and now um as well I think that um, especially probably around like the um, the postal vote um, for marriage equality that was five years ago that's coming up to five years ago now and so I think that it really did start around there and then um, you know like the Australian Open um, has pride days and stuff like that and so she obviously makes her views known around that as well and um, yeah I think just the whole debate um, of uh, you know LGBTQIA plus um, issues and trans issues and um, obviously someone as prominent as her um, yeah, she uh, makes her. She does make her views known. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's a good pickup by the movie girls, and you know, it's um, by the movie girls, by the movie makers, not the movie girls. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating that she was, as you put it, in a piece of shit back then. You know, and she continues to be a piece of shit now. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we will look at references to history now, and. Obviously, the main one is this match between uh, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, but we will get into that soon because the movie actually starts with Billie Jean King winning the US Open in 1972. She then breaks from the US Lawn Tennis Association along with the rest of the original nine, and so that all happened. Um, the original nine do get Philip Morris's sponsorship for a women's tournament, the Virginia Slims Tour, and but it was actually interesting to learn that Billie Jean King and the original nine broke away in 1970 and uh, Philip Morris sponsored the Virginia Slims tour in that same year. And so, like, we sort of spoke about it before, about how this film, or to me, like, it might have been about 90 95% correct. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that in this instance, like, they probably just wanted to speed the sort of timeline along a bit more. And so, you know, like 1972 to 1973, it's not as big of a jump as 70 to 73. Mm. Um, and they just wanted to tell it a bit quicker, I guess. Okay. So let me get this timeline straight. Um, IRL, 1970, this all happened. Mm -hmm. yeah? yeah. And then in the movie, it happens in 73. 72. 72. Okay. And then the Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs match happens in 1973. Yes. Okay, I get what you're saying about speeding it up, right? Understood. Yeah. Just making sure I'm keeping up, mate. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and I think that in terms of like this match in itself, and I think that what this movie did as well, like you know, it sort of like told, it sort of gave that build up towards this match, and so I think that you know, this was a two hour movie as well, and I think that you know, you only really got that like proper sort of Billie Jean King Bobby Riggs match. Um, you know, sort of in the last sort of half an hour is when like all the build up towards it started to happen when um, Billie Jean King made the, or accepted the offer to play, I guess. And so, you know, like everything, all, everything was put into motion about playing this game and then actually playing it and um, all the aftermath of it. And so, yeah, um, I think that what they got in terms of how they portrayed this game, how they portrayed each individual person, I think that they did this really well. And so... Bobby Riggs, like he was sort of a self-professed um, chauvinist pig, um, as he says throughout the movie plenty of times. And, um, you know, like it was sort of done, it seemed at times that it was done for like show, 
um, sometimes that he was yeah. just like over the top about it. But I still believe that like, and I have seen that he was really like that. And even when he did beat Margaret Court, even when he did um, lose to Billie Jean King, I think that sort of amplified his views a lot more as well. I think it kind of probably gave him a bit of a platform too to um, kind of espouse, espouse his uh, values and views from, um, you know, because it did seem like it was a pretty big deal. At least the Billie Jean King one did. It was at the Alamo Dome. Is that right? The Houston Aerodome. Aerodome. Okay. Close by. <laughs> Close by. Texas, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was in the, the Aerodome. It was on ABC. They said 90 million people were watching worldwide which, you know, there's probably a bit of uh, artistic, um, what do they call it? When they make shit up. <laughs> They're making shit up. It wasn't really. I doubt that there was 90 million people back then. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So it probably gave him that platform to kind of uh, espouse his views from. Yeah, well, I mean, just on that, Stewie, um, I will debunk that. <laughs> debunk what, mate? The true story does reveal that an estimated worldwide television audience of 90 million and 50 million in the US alone tuned in to watch the Battle of the Sexes match. Listen, I know professionals that do this for a job probably track those numbers. Regardless, I dispute them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now nah, that's that's wild. If that's true, from that's literally 50 years ago, um, that's wild. They're wild numbers. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interesting to learn actually how many people viewed the uh, Bobby Riggs Margaret Court match. Um, because this one was obviously, you know, it seemed to be a bigger thing, but the Bobby Riggs Margaret Court one was the first um, as well of like of like the big, you know, male versus female matches. Um, because there were some male versus female matches even before this time and after this time. But I think that this one obviously gets spoken about the most. And in a time where Bobby Riggs played both Margaret Court and Billie Jean King within like a couple of months probably, maybe a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I think that I'd, I'd be interesting to learn um, how many people watch that Margaret Court one especially, but I, I unfortunately think, don't have that one. I think that uh, there's potential that maybe even more people watched it, right? Because um, Bobby Riggs and Margaret Court is an American versus an Australian. Mm -hmm. That's been more of an international appeal. Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs is a couple of Americans, you know? Mm -hmm. But I guess... You know, Billie Jean King was probably the player of that era, right? Yeah, and I think that, again, like, you know, Bobby Riggs sort of said to um, Billie Jean King, like, even before he wanted to do that game with Margaret Court, um, because at that time that he asked, Billie Jean King was the number one. And That's then right, Margaret yeah. Court beat her, Margaret Court became the number one, and so Bobby was like, oh, cool, I've got another number one that I can ask. And... I mean, while like Margaret Court was sort of like with these players on this separate tour, I don't think that she was really like in it either. And so like, as in like, you know, like all these women like Billie Jean King and like the original nine, like they were all for like moving away from the, um, you know, actual sort of circuit, um, moving away from like the sort of like comparison between like the men's game, like fighting for equality and I think that it was sort of just like, I mean, this is just what I'm like thinking. I think that, you know, like we sort of saw because like, you know, the women's tennis were, like, weren't allowed to um, join like the US Lawn Association or whatever it was, that like Margaret Court sort of had no choice but to join these women on this individual sort of circuit then. Because uh, all the good players were on this independent circuit mm -hmm. and had moved away from the Lawn Tennis Association. Yeah. yeah, so her heart wasn't really in it is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's maybe why she accepted it and yeah. Uh, yeah. didn't have that like hesit hesitancy as um, the same as Billie Jean King. She should have held out like Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King, you know, she played for triple the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bobby Riggs had obviously claimed that women's tennis was far inferior to the male game and that even at 55, and uh, this wasn't when he was playing professional tennis either. Um, he'd stopped that many years prior to this. 
Um, he still felt that he could beat any of the top female players. Now, don't get me wrong, I love women, in the bedroom and in the kitchen, but these days they want to be everywhere, they want to be doing everything. Where is it gonna end? Pretty soon us fellas aren't gonna be able to go to a ball game, we're not gonna be able to go fishing, we're not gonna be able to stop and have a drink after work, and that's what this whole women's lit thing is about, and it's gotta stop, and Bobby Riggs is the man to stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Custer's last stand. This is the lover versus the lever. <laughs> Keep talking, Bobby. The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's gonna be when you lose. Well, I'm the ladies number one. I'm the champ. Why would I lose? Because dinosaurs can't play tennis. I'm gonna put the show back in chauvinism. And so he challenged Billie Jean King before he played Margaret Court, but she declined, obviously. And uh, yeah, after beating Court, Riggs continued flaunting his claim. And then uh, King accepted his challenge, viewing the match not as a publicity stunt, but rather a chance to defend women's tennis and gender equality as a whole. And so Billie Jean King said that I thought it would set us back 50 years if I didn't win that match. Um, it would ruin, she said later, it would ruin the women's tour and affect all women's self-esteem. And so I think that, I think that that probably does ring true. I think that, you know, especially after seeing that Margaret Court match, like a lot of people would have had those views of, you know, like, males are superior to females in tennis and in sport and everything and that would have just like confirmed their claims and I think that's really unfortunate that we still see that today but I think that uh, Billie Jean King doing it as well and beating him and quite convincingly as well um, I think that that did you know change the course of history and um, you know have these conversations that you know there is sort of an equal playing field. Yeah it's interesting though it would have been a rough few months after he beat Margaret Court in straight sets, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, but I, I think it's definitely a good thing that uh, Billie Jean King came along and um, and you know um, gave him his comeuppance. This is one nit I have to pick with the movie, so it's never they 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 never say it flat out, but it's definitely heavily implied that uh, Bobby Riggs takes his foot off the gas when he's training to play Billie Jean King. Yeah. And then when he starts losing, oh, he's cramping up, he's limping, you know. Taking the vitamins to try and help him. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know what the point of that was mm -hmm. in the movie. Like, are they trying to show us that that's what, a, what the broadcast was like back then? Which I would kind of buy from like a, a match point of view. But then the stuff with the training and that and kind of, you know, he, like I said, heavily implying that he wasn't, Given it a hundred percent, you know that's uh, that's a bit of a rough look. I think it was just a bit of like complacency. It was just like you know I beat Margaret Court; she's the number one. I can easily beat you know the number two, and so he felt. But like don't you don't you think that kind of diminishes because he trained hard? He was running around in a sweatsuit to yeah. play against Margaret Court. You know, like yeah. don't you feel like that kind of diminishes Billie Jean King beating him? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, no, you do raise a good point there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something that kind of irked me when I was watching it. I was like, you know, we could probably do without this, and it's probably. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, Bobby Riggs, if you're alive, mate, and you're listening to goals on film like everyone else in the world, um, give me a call. Let me know. But I imagine that he's probably. Were you just shaking your head? <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Oh. <laughs> he died in 1995. <laughs> okay. Well, Bobby Riggs. <laughs> Listening from the grave. Rest in peace, brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's just, it, it just really bothered me, yeah. to be honest with you. It, it kind of took away a little bit when she did beat him at the end. I thought, fuck, they've tried to make it seem like. As opposed to, like, she trained hard and there was montages yeah. where she's training hard and stuff. But rather than it was her, like, coming to and exceeding his level, it's like she trained really hard and he kind of came down to her level, if you get mm. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I thought that was, a, listen, <laughs> I'm just a grumpy old man. I've got to <laughs> complain about every movie that we watch, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I did really like this movie, but that was just one small thing that... That did bother me quite a bit. Yeah. I think that one thing that, you know, could have done without as well, um, but it did actually happen in real life, 
is that Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs entered the court on a bit of a sort of like pedestal, a, a, a throne essentially. Big you know? WWE guy over here. That was a WWE reference. Uh, reference. That was a WWE entrance yeah. there. They just need some fireworks and, you know, some theme music. I think they had theme music, so... You know, um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a bit much, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was. And, uh, you know, in terms of like them getting it right again um, at the net when they did sort of a coin toss and exchanged gifts. Well, I got this beautiful lollipop for Billie Jean. I figure she's going to be a sucker for my lob. I, you know, I got something for you too, Bobby. Actually, it's the ultimate gift for a male chauvinist. Ah. <laughs> oh. There you go. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Any last words before the match, Bobby? Well, this match is for all the guys around the world to feel as I do that the male is king, the male is supreme. Billie Jean? I'm done talking. Let's play. Billie Jean King did, in fact, in real life, give Bobby Riggs a piglet um, as, <laughs> as a symbol of male chauvinism um, after Riggs handed her a giant sugar daddy long. After Riggs handed her a giant sugar daddy lollipop, um, and <laughs> as we saw and as we've discussed, like you know, you asked me if he really did wear that that uh, sugar daddy tracksuit and uniform. Then yeah, he did. <laughs> what a what a look! What an iconic look! <laughs> I think one of the funny things about this as well is that Riggs planned to give the pig back to King years later after it was fully grown, but he never did. What did he die first? <laughs> 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 Billy, uh, Bobby, did Bobby die first? Maybe. Oh, you you got we got a camera recording this, mate. Every time we talk about Bobby Riggs dying, you're very <laughs> pleased. Look at you, you couldn't be happier. No, I'm concerned. Uh, no, well, <laughs> if I blink twice, <laughs> it's because I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, no, because like Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs actually did become friends. They were actually friends, and so yeah. like, and they never really hated each other before the match either. Um, mm-hmm. But they definitely became quite close after, afterwards. And King actually said that I really respected him and liked him. Um, he was one of my heroes. I stayed in touch with him the night before he passed in 1995. <laughs> I told him I loved him, and he told me he loved me, and I think he was proud of himself. Okay, well that's kind of nice. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know about the comment about him being proud of himself. Mm. Um, just based on all of his actions and behaviour. Well, you know, he lived 50 years before those actions and behaviours, so maybe he had stuff he was proud of before. Or maybe he was like, fuck yeah, I beat that bitch Margaret Court, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That is the exact reaction that I would have if I beat her. (laughs) One of the other big parts of this movie uh, was the relationship between Billie Jean King and Marilyn Barnett. Um, And so... Another one of the inaccuracies of this is that Barnett was not actually a hairdresser um, that King met by chance. Instead, Barnett was actually King's secretary. And so uh, the King, the film sort of sugarcoats their affair as well um, because King remained married to her husband Larry during the affair. But there is a bit of a story um, of when it ended or when this affair ended. Can I just say I was very surprised when I was doing my half ass research, Jason, that Marilyn is actually... Andrea Risborough, and she recently just got nominated, controversially, mind you, mm. for in the Best Actress category for an Oscar. So do you want to know about that story yeah, real quick? Why, why is it controversial? So it's for a performance that she gave in a movie called Two Leslie, which is a very uh, not well-known movie, I guess, is the kindest way to put it. Um, I think it's a British movie. I know she's a British actor. I'm not too sure about that, to be honest. But uh, it all started off with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow um, shouting her out on an Instagram live video. And then it was followed up by Ed Norton tweeting about how great her performance was in the movie. And that kind of had a bit of a snowball effect um, with all these A-listers kind of shouting her out and saying, oh, she needs to be nominated for an Oscar in the two-week period leading up to the Oscar nominations. And then when the nominations were being read out, who was on the Best Actress list but Andrea Risborough? Now, I, I can't say that it's not a worthy performance because I haven't seen the movie. Maybe I'll watch it and I'll tell you guys next week. But, um, yeah, yeah, just uh, just an interesting story. Maybe a different way to campaign for an Oscar these days. Maybe. 
Now I wonder if it's like because this will actually win. <laughs> maybe, maybe that will be. I don't know what she's paying on sports bet, and we don't condone gambling. Gamble responsibly, but if she is paying big money, put your house on it. <laughs> well, we've just moved into a house, so I will. Okay, Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so this uh, story of the affair between King and Barnett, uh, Barnett was actually asked to leave the house. I think this was around 78 or 79 because the affair ended in 79. Um, Leave the house where she had actually lived rent-free with Billie Jean and Larry. And so Barnett tried to extort King by threatening to release letters that would reveal their secret relationship And when that failed, Barnett sued King in 1981 for half her income and the house, invoking palimony law. What is palimony law? It's a great question. It's in quotation marks here, so I don't quite know. That's, uh, what a dog act that is, you know? We're having an affair with uh, the lady of the house, shall we say. Um, Living rent-free, and then things go tits up. And you get booted out and then you threaten, well, you extort and you threaten and until you sue and then you get half of their income and the house. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just, I mean, that's fucking, that's a dog. I want to say it's a fucking dog act. It's oh, a yeah. dog act from Maryland, man. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm disgusted by that. So palimony is a colloquial term used to refer to a court's <laughs> award of financial support or assets to one party of a non-marital relationship following a breakup. So I don't understand. What does what does that mean exactly? So let's say, for example, I'm married, you live with me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I break up with my missus and go, Jace, get the fuck out too. I'm starting again. You can sue me for palimony? Maybe. Don't do it. i feel like so i feel like oh okay yeah the term is a portmanteau of the words pal meaning friend and alimony and so i feel like this is just the fact of like true friends living together and choosing to go their separate ways i feel like that's what this is that's a that's that's a bridge too far. That's a litigious society just gone nuts there. I can't believe that that's a real thing. Yeah, I don't believe that's a real thing too, but it is. Here we are. <laughs> we know that it is. We've looked it up. <laughs> um, I think you'll be happy to know though that Barnett actually lost the lawsuit. Oh, um, fantastic. But it did come at a cost uh, to King um, in that this was sort of like a forced coming out. Okay. And so King lost millions in endorsements. It nearly destroyed her career and it took years for her to rebuild what she'd lost. Nah, that's fucking terrible. That's just a, that's a horrible thing. I know um, she just sounds like a piece of work, doesn't she? Marilyn, Jesus Christ. She just sounds like a terrible, terrible person. Yeah, no, it, it does sound that way. And um, I think that it sort of like con- is conveyed that way in the movie at times as well. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I yeah. feel like um, she's definitely um, sympathetic in the movie. I found myself feeling sympathetic toward her a little bit as well. And the way the movie ends, um, aren't they together at the end of the movie? I don't know. I don't really... They never... I don't think they actually embraced her or anything like after that win. I think that she went down onto the court and they sort of like locked eyes together. Mm. But I don't think that they... That's a Hollywood trope, mate. Yeah. Uh, locking eyes. That's love. Yeah. Love, Jason. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think that uh, it might not be in flight of like, you know, a relationship between them. But, you know, and the part where like I really teared up like at the end when um, what's his name's uh, character... The uh, stylist guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, Alan Cumming playing uh, Ted Tingling. Uh, what was his name? <laughs> well, his name is actually, um, the real person's name is Cuthbert Ted Tingling. Tingling. That's a fun name to say. Ted Tingling. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry, mate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he basically, um, you know, said a really like sort of heartfelt 
uh, quote towards Billie Jean King um, at the end there. And I think that it sort of came from a bit of a, um, you know, meaning towards him as well, like as a character as well. Can I guess what it is? Yeah. Was it Billie Jean is not my lover? <laughs> She's just a girl that claimed that I was the one? <laughs> just just checking. I'm just checking. Maybe Michael Jackson wrote that song about <laughs> Billie Jean King. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it is funny though. Apparently um, Elton John actually wrote a one of his songs about Billie Jean King. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and they're actually in the car, um, Marilyn and... They are too. Rocket Man is playing, yeah, right? That's yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's cool, man. A bit of a nod, but uh, yeah, this uh, line from Ted Tingling uh, was: "Times change. You should know that you just change them. Someday we will be free to be who we are and to love who we love. But now, time to join the dance." Madam Superstar, <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> now, come on. The dance can't start without you. Sure, I'm ready for all this. I think you may be more ready than you know. Times change. You should know you just changed them. Someday, we will be free to be who we are and love who we love. Lovely stuff from Ted Tingling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I said to you before, and I'll probably say this again on the podcast, but when I first saw him, I was like, that's that floop guy from Spy Kids. (laughs) I'll just do a quick run through of the last couple of things I have here. I won't go into too much detail on them all, but we sort of referenced it before about Bobby Riggs taking the vitamins um, daily. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, in a 60 Minutes interview, Bobby Riggs actually said that in the weeks leading up to the match, he was taking roughly 135 pills three times a day. Jesus Christ. He said that anything's that anything that's going to make you healthy and stronger, I'm going to go with it. Um, yeah, so he said that and uh, we well, saw it. <laughs> he died at his mid-70s, didn't he? Yeah, it would have been. So, you know. Steer clear of the vitamins, I suppose. <laughs> they don't do fuck all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, uh, yeah, the only other thing, well, a couple of others, um, uh, that Bobby Riggs was going through a divorce at the time of the match. Um, to Priscilla Whelan, um, who is portrayed by Elizabeth Shue in the movie. Not Priscilla, whose office we're in right no, now. No, no, no okay. No, Just no. to clear that up, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that she'd be with a guy like Bobby Riggs. <laughs> and, uh, Jared definitely isn't that guy. Yeah, so 100%. If you're listening to this, Jared, you're not Bobby Riggs. <laughs> Just in case you were worried. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the film uh, makes it out that Bobby Riggs is a former Wimbledon champion. Um, it is true that he won Wimbledon in 1939 as a 21-year-old amateur. He was ranked number one in the world or co-number one in 1939. And uh, he won it as a professional in 1946 and 1947. He was twice the United States singles champion, winning the US Open in 1939 and 1941. Yeah, right. So a lot of those championships have probably got asterisks next to them because they're during World War Two. yeah? Yeah, actually, yeah. Definitely, yeah. The 39-41, yep. Mm. Anyway, I just want to be part of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'll just end this with like, you know, it's accurate in terms of all the scores that they depict between you know, the scores between uh, the game between Bobby Riggs and Margaret Court, the game between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, uh, everything that they seemed to mention was uh, accurate, even down to one of the radio broadcasts mentioning that the New York Yankees started the season 0-3, and three, were swept by the Boston Red Sox, and that was indeed true of the 1973 season. So I think the accuracy of this movie is something that we should really shine a light on. Uh, you told me um, just prior to us recording 
that you'd watch some of the um, Billie Jean King and Margaret Court versus Bobby Riggs matches mm. and the style of play depicted in the movie, that slower exhibition style of play, is actually the way that the matches took place. Yeah, that's right. Um, I found myself while watching this movie um, pausing it at times and you know everything that they sort of mentioned or you know everything that we sort of saw in terms of the games itself. Like, yeah, I saw myself... Uh, pausing the movie and doing a bit of research sort of mid-watching the movie just to see how accurate it was and so you know that's where I was able to see that the scores um, in the game of Margaret Court versus Bobby Riggs were correct in terms of the 6162 I think it was mm -hmm. um, the score in the Bobby Riggs Billie Jean King match was correct um, like I just said to you before about the Yankees starting the season zero and three sweep swept by the Red Sox but in terms of yeah these games um, that it was accurate in terms of like yeah, the way that they were playing tennis. And I mean, we'll get into it a bit now, I think, as well, in terms of how well the film depicts the sport as yeah. well. And, you know, this particular time and this particular these particular matches. Because it was, yeah, the style of play. Like it was that exhibition style, like you said. And, you know, it was just sort of like the really like slow, like calm hitting back and forth. But, you know, like there was still that pace to it all. And they were obviously still trying to win points. Mm. And... But in terms of, yeah, like the pace of it, uh, I remember like thinking while watching them, this movie, like they're just doing like a casual hit to hit sort of thing. Um, you know, like maybe part of it was just that, you know, Bobby uh, Riggs was doing it this way because he thought, you know, I'm going to win. So I may as well just not try my best. And um, like maybe it was I, I know, like while watching this movie, I, like one of the thoughts that what someone might have is that maybe it was just like that you know, line of thinking um, mm -hmm. by Bobby Riggs. But, yeah, I was watching this particular match between him and um, Margaret Court and, you know, like, yeah, the style of play, the way that they were hitting, um, you know, it was all the same really. And mm -hmm. so they got that really accurate and I think that that was obviously the style of play back then. Back, like, now, like, you know, you see a lot more people, players hustling, trying to win every point, um, you know, like covering a lot of the court mm -hmm. and so... Yeah, it was really weird to sort of not see that in this movie, but it was very, um, you know, reflective of the style of play at the time. Absolutely. Um, a polar opposite to the style of play from Seven Days in Hell, which I recently watched. You'll be oh, happy to you? know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic movie. Very good. You yeah. can watch that or you can also listen to our Goals on Film episode of that. Yes. Uh, well, I did listen to that right away. Straight after I'd watched the movie, I listened to it and I've got to say it's uh, – even though, you know, I'm not on it, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of the better episodes of Goals on Film, so get out there and check it out. No worries. And, uh, yeah, I think that, like, like I said this to you before as well, um, we did Escape to Victory. That was our first movie of uh, mm -hmm. 2023. And uh, we noticed in that movie, or Kieran um, noticed it in that movie, about, like, the really slow pace of a game of soccer um, that they had in that movie. And mm -hmm. we sort of, uh, yeah sort of uh, saw that it was sort of reflective of the time. Um, yep. That, like that's how they played back in the 1940s. And so I liken it to that um, in terms of I liken uh, Battle of the Sexes to that mm -hmm. um, in terms of like it was an accurate re reflection of the time. It's not necessarily how the game is played now, mm. but at the time it definitely was. And I think that even with this movie being um, filmed in 2017, that like they really captured that really well um, yeah yeah 100 percent. I, I completely agree yeah and so yeah so there's that game between bobby riggs and margaret court and the game between bobby riggs and billy jean king and uh yeah like i said they got it all correct um and even so um even what they got correct and you know you sort of brought it up as well mm -hmm. in terms of what uh bobby was wearing yeah um, the uh sugar daddy uh tracksuit yeah so like the uniforms um are another aspect of this movie that they got correct and so they really tried hard to, um, you know, accurately portray what they were wearing um, in these particular matches and in this this particular time. And so, you know, Margaret Court's uh, dress where it has her name um, up in the collar, mm -hmm. you know, like that's accurate. That's what she was wearing for that particular game against Bobby Riggs. Yep. Uh, they created a dress specifically for Billie Jean King um, with that sort of like stripe. I think it was on the left-hand side. Mm -hmm. um, on the right hand side, one of the sides. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it was either left or right. Yeah, yeah. You know that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so like that's what he, what, that's what she was wearing. Um, 
Bobby Riggs, both games, sort of a um, a blue sort of polo mm-hmm. um, and that white visor. So, yeah, I really liked those aspects of it, that they closely paid attention to the detail of these particular matches and made them as accurate as they as they could and as they were. Yeah, it shows a certain level of care for the story when, when they nail tiny um, details like that. Mm. Um, I, I really like it too. I really appreciate it about this movie. Yeah, all right. Well, let's uh, continue in a bit of how well it depicts the sport. And I think we, we did sort of say just before about like, you know, the hit and back, back and forth between Emma Stone and Steve Carell especially. Um, it's interesting though that uh, Vince Spader, um, who is a former tennis player, and Caitlin Christian, um, who I don't know if she's a tennis player or not, but uh, they actually served as tennis doubles for Steve Carell and Emma Stone. Um because Emma Stone has admitted that she is not very skilled at tennis. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so I think that when you have those people, um, at least one professional tennis player, um, the tennis in it does seem a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. And it did seem a lot free, more free-flowing. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we brought up last week um, in our episode of Breakpoint mm-hmm. was that it didn't really seem free-flowing, even like when you had close-ups of each player sort of hitting the ball. Um, you know, like you didn't really think that it was in the same sort of sequence, in the same point, in the same rally. But I think that while this movie did have those close-ups of just like an individual person hitting the ball, I feel like it was really like kept that real pace that, you know, you could believe that it was a back and forth of a particular point. Yeah, so um, I, I, I completely agree with those thoughts. Um, also, um, the, the, the two tennis professionals or one tennis professional or one one. maybe one maybe tennis professional they were originally signed to five week contracts Mm. um they ended up staying on for longer than four months and uh another interesting thing which uh might surprise people to hear after you dropped the bomb of emma stone saying that she wasn't too good at tennis she actually played um a fair amount of the uh, billy jean king pov shots um were actually emma stone playing tennis Mm -hmm. so i thought that was really good too Uh, i have just looked it up here actually that uh caitlin christian is in fact a pro tennis player um has competed in the australian opens just uh this past week so oh right okay well there you go Um, playing doubles so yeah um, so that's good, I guess, um, that they had two tennis professionals. Um, Absolutely. Doubles for Steve Carell and Emma Stone. But I think that, yeah, Emma Stone and Steve Carell, they played these roles really well that you'd believe them as tennis players anyway. And um, when you can look back on, you know, photos and our video of how these two people acted in real life as well, I think that Steve Carell and Emma Stone really got their sort of dynamic correct, um, just like in terms of between each other, um, mm-hmm. but also individually. Yeah, absolutely. i got to say, and I know I said it at the top of the episode, but uh, Steve Carell is just a fucking fantastic actor. I challenge anyone out there, hit me up at Stuart Sukovit on Twitter. Let me know a bad role Steve Carell has actually played in a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some comedy ones that I guess are, you know, to taste. They're not everyone's taste. But you certainly can't say he plays the roles poorly. Um, and every time he's kind of... I know this isn't a full dramatic turn because Bobby Riggs is a little bit of a... He's a bit of a joke mm. as a person. Um, but even when he does do the dramatic roles, I just... I don't think he has an L in his uh, on his uh, win-loss record um, in front of the camera. Yeah, off the top of my head, um, I can't think of a role where he is um, playing a character badly or anything like that. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, Steve Carell is one of those people that sort of have sort of like held up over time and um, you do just sort of, like, you know, I don't think that he really has like, I mean, he has breakout roles, I guess. Um, and, you know, like Michael Scott is like one of those breakout roles, um, The Office, obviously. And uh, there's so many film credits that he has, um, Despicable Me, Gru, mm-hmm. great, great, uh, film there film series but yep. uh yeah i think that you know like his one that you know you can probably associate with different people or like different roles and yeah you just like think of a role that he's been in and you just love it i think mm-hmm. um, yeah and you know based on the fact that i can't think of a role where he's been bad in um and neither can you I yeah think that 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really one someone who is like spoken about and like you know the A-listers of Hollywood or anything like that. But he certainly should that, be. Yeah. yeah, the fact that he doesn't seem to have a bad role um, would suggest that he should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll just run you through the cast list as we begin to talk about it. And so we had Emma Stone as Billie Jean King, Steve Carell as Bobby Riggs, Andre Riseborough as Marilyn Barnett, Sarah Silverman as Gladys Heldman, Bill Pullman as Jack Kramer, Alan Cumming as Cuthbert Ted Tingling. Tingling. <laughs> I know that you wanted me to say that name again. We had Elizabeth Shue as Priscilla Riggs, Austin Steele as Larry King, Natalie Morales as Rosie Cassells and Jessica McNamee as Margaret Court. Mm. And so we obviously had so many other people involved in this movie and part of the cast and part of the range and assortment of characters. But upon like, you know, thinking about this cast list and their performances, what did you make of it? And was there anyone that you wanted to single out? Listen, uh, we've spoken about Steve Carell, fantastic performance, probably one of the most underappreciated actors of, of, the current time, I would mm. say, 2017, so the past 10 years maybe. Emma Stone, fantastic, uh, just stellar actress. Uh, another one, I just I don't know if she has a bad role. I know she gets panned a little bit for Gwen Stacy in the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, but fuck me, man, she's just she's perfect in those movies as far as I'm concerned. The one I really want to uh, single out is Bill Pullman. Yep. In a bad guy role. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not trying to say I'm across Bill, Bill Pullman's filmography, but uh, it's very rare to see him in the villain kind of role. And I've got to say, I kind of dug it a little bit. It was cool to see him as the bad guy in this movie, uh, Jack Kramer, yeah? Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you don't really expect that from Bill Pullman. Um, I think that, yeah, we've spoken about Emma Stone and Steve Carell. I think that I'm definitely a fan of Emma Stone. I feel like... With Emma Stone, like as well, like I, as far as like the filmography that I can, I know her from, like, I don't think that I've seen her in a bad role. Um, I mean, I obviously, as you know, haven't seen every movie. And so I haven't probably haven't seen every movie that Emma Stone's been in. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, everything that I've watched of her, I've really enjoyed and I've really enjoyed her as an actress. And I thought that she gave everything to this role. You know, that's interesting. You host a podcast about movies Yet, just in our day-to-day -day life, when I flick your text and I say, Hey, Jace, you seen this? You got to watch this. You haven't seen... Have you seen any movies that aren't on... That you haven't covered on Goals on Film? <laughs> no. Nah, the, uh, the movies on Goals on Film are the only movies I've ever watched. And I've just watched them the week of Goals on Film. Yeah, that's right. So, I've only watched about 50 movies in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all sports movies. <laughs> I'll believe it. Yeah. <laughs> What are you talking about? I just mentioned Despicable Me before and Steve Carell's performances grew in that series. Wow. I feel like that's pretty like large in the popular consciousness <laughs> though. I feel like you could have just picked up what is oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. This will make people think I watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> Despicable Me. <laughs> There's like three, four Despicable Me movies. So yeah. That's yeah, at least four are. movies I've seen. Four extra ones. Good for you, Jason. <laughs> Sarah Silverman, School of Rock. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Iconic uh, comedian as well. Yeah. Um, well known for, a, you know, a comedy that my grandma probably wouldn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy Sarah Silverman a lot in this yeah. movie. And I do I, enjoy her generally. Yeah. I actually um, have listened to a couple of episodes of the Sarah Silverman podcast as well oh okay yeah, what so. about other sarah silverman movies jason <laughs> uh, battle of the sexes yeah all right <laughs> next segment <laughs> no but i think that's really interesting too because like her character right like gladys like i didn't really recognize it her as sarah silverman i don't even think like throughout the whole movie because like her face was always like covered as mm -hmm. well i feel like you know whether it was by like sort of a veily type um you know Thing, <laughs> yeah, Bailey type veil, um, a hat, <laughs> a Bailey type veil. Yeah. Okay, is that opposed to a uh, you know, shower curtain type veil? <laughs> um, the only other person that I want to properly mention is uh, I've mentioned him before is Alan Cumming, um, as Ted Tingling. I'm gonna keep saying that name, obviously. Tingling. <laughs> mm. 
Teddy Tingling. Um, yes. I thought that he was a really good um, fit for that particular role of like what that role might have needed to be as like that sort of comfort um, mm-hmm. character. And like I liken that role to um, Lionel Richie's role in the Hunger Games movies. Okay. Um, yeah. I forget his character's name, but it's a similar type of role in terms of like a sort of like stylist type person mm-hmm. um, providing that comfort to someone who is about to embark on something major. Um, and so in terms of the Hunger Games movies, it's Katniss going into the Hunger Games itself. In terms of this movie, it's Billie Jean King going into the world of having just won against Bobby Riggs and going into the world of, you know, equality, really. Mm-hmm. Before we move on from the cast, Jason, I've just got one casting what if. Mm-hmm. A massive one, too. Um, Emma Stone was originally cast for this movie. Um, due to a scheduling conflict, she did have to drop out, unfortunately. Oh, fortunately. Mm. I'll let the listeners decide. Uh, Brie Larson was going to play the role of Billie Jean King. Um, I think she picked up an injury after three or four months and had to drop out of the role um, in that intervening three or four month period. Emma Stone's schedule actually cleared up and uh, she returned to play the role of Billie Jean King. So that's the casting what if for this week. Yeah, I reckon Brie Larson could have done a good job. As well, I reckon. Nah, no. I, I'm not buying it, dog. I, okay. I I don't think that she would be good in this role. I do like Brie Larson in a lot of stuff, but I just think no. That's a no from me. No thanks. You're not no. agreeing with a lot of my opinions tonight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's because you're just stuck behind this veily type veil. That's why. <laughs> Listen, before we go down that path though, Jace, you do have like a, I don't want to call it a segment, but you've got some facts. You're here to drop some knowledge on us. That kind of um, relates to the subject matter of this movie. So take it away, pal. Yeah, I do. And so obviously the main part of this movie is the match between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, the battle of the sexes, the title of the movie. And so... And then we obviously had the Margaret Court Bobby Riggs match before this one, mm-hmm. but that match wasn't actually the first male versus female match. Um, right. And so there have been a couple um, male versus female Battle of the Sexes types of matches played over time. And so the first one actually dates back way to way back to uh, 1888, and that was when men's Wimbledon champion Ernest Renshaw took on the ladies' champion Lottie Dodd, and uh, you know. I don't, I don't know if I really agree with this, right? But, like, I guess people thought that, you know, it would just be a walkover um, for Ernest Renshaw. And so Lottie Dodd actually started each game with a 30-love advantage, but she lost in three sets, 2-6, 7-5, 7-5. One of the other more notable modern day female versus male matches was in 1992. Um, that was between a 40-year-old Jimmy Connors and a 35-year-old Martina uh, Navratilova. Uh, Connors was only allowed one serve per point, and Navratilova was also given the advantage of being able to hit into half of the doubles alleys. Regardless, Connors claimed victory 7-5-6-2. And then uh, in 1998, the Williams sisters each individually took on German Karsten Braschk, um, having claimed that they could beat any male player outside the top 200, Brash then ranked 203, beat Serena 6-1 and beat Venus 6-2. And uh, afterwards, the Williams sisters modified their claim to any male player outside the top 350. <laughs> of course they fucking did. They got found out. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, man. That's uh, Thank God for Billie Jean King because that's rough reading for women there um, on the tennis court. Yeah, no, and I think that like... As we've said throughout this podcast, right, like the win of Billie Jean King against Bobby Riggs really did change. Um, I think like the way that like, yeah, women were viewed in the sport of tennis especially. And while there were some matches and notable matches since that time, um, I think that that time of uh, the win of Billie Jean King's win, um, you know, it still really holds up um, and it still really sort of like lays the foundation of like the women's tennis like sort of being legitimate um mm-hmm. i guess and especially like in the eyes of men yep yeah absolutely i, I agree so yeah. no i think uh yeah obviously owe a lot to billy jean king and her win over bobby riggs 
All right, we'll move on now. And the next question we ask is, is there a relatable character to you in this movie? Was there anyone like that for you, Stewie? Um, that's, yeah. You, you think I'd be fucking ready for this, but I'm not. Um, I Dude, do think... for the next segment. <laughs> I do think there's aspects of the Bobby Rigg character that I do like, you know. He's, there's a certain, like, um, you know, he's just... He's just having fun. Mm. He's 55 years old. He's just talking shit and he's running around and he thinks he's hilarious and he's in his own world and he doesn't care what anyone else thinks about his hilarity. I kind of like that. I mean, I'm not going to be the same as him, but I'd like to take elements of that into my uh, into the autumn of my years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know really for me, to be honest. Like... I think that for me, like, I wish that I was like some of these characters um, and especially like Billie Jean King, some of the other original nine, um, especially Rosie Cassells, um, just in terms of them sort of like stepping up, speaking out, um, being that change. Um, And I think that's sort of um, true in terms of like Rosie um, being that commentator for that that game between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. Yeah. Um, In terms of, you know, obviously in the, um, when uh, they say that Jack can't, commentate what a fucking shithill thing to do you know just right before the telecast just go oh no i'm gonna be the benevolent one and step away just so full of shit oh i hated that Uh, the opposite of a relatable character yeah that cunt (laughs) anyway um anyway yeah so i I wish that i was like those two characters especially um but otherwise i can't really pinpoint a particular character that i saw myself relating to so okay well, that's that. Let's move on to the last segment that we have on this podcast, and that is if you could have a tennis movie get made, what would it be and why? Okay. Go. So I want to see a, you know, there's a big, there's a big, amongst small children and, you know, nerdy teens and then even nerdy adults, there's conversation, you know, who would win a fight, Superman or Captain America, right? My question is, who would win a tennis match between Superman and oh. Captain America? I want to see them go at it. Um, call it what you want. Battle of the superheroes. Um, yeah, so that's my idea. It's a shit idea and I know it is, but fuck <laughs> me. It's what i got, Jason. Okay? Don't okay. judge me. That's no. just what I've got. No Superman ju- versus Captain America in a tennis match. Look, make the movie. I'm not saying that I'll judge you. Some mm. of our listeners might. <laughs> <laughs> but this room right here is a judgment-free zone. That's fantastic. I'm going to shit talk the idea when we've walked out of this room. <laughs> but for now, great idea. All right, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I can live with that. Uh, it might surprise you. Mm. I haven't really given this much thought. So my well, idea might I'm be I'm rubbing off on yours. you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think that, see, like... I had a couple of ideas last week, right? And one of those ideas you actually sort of mentioned. Oh, okay. Funnily enough. Interesting. It was the idea of like, and like we've seen um, throughout parts of this Australian Open as well, and it obviously happens at other tournaments, is that like it rains. Mm -hmm. And so like there's not any uh, available courts um, or like, you know, it has to utilize the uh, roof. Mm-hmm. And uh, we obviously had it last week as well when we tried to go play tennis. And it was we raining. did, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was called off. And, uh, yeah, I just think that a... <laughs> it's going to suck shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shitter than Superman versus Captain <laughs> <Yes>. America? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm all ears. I did not I think I was I winning this I segment. I don't want to say it now. No, you got to. <laughs> Let's go. We're running out of time. I know. We're running out of time, so I don't need to say it. You do need to say it. Come on. <laughs> Uh, my idea was just going to be the first time that they noticed that a venue for a Grand Slam needed a roof. And during the tournament, they looked to construct a, a makeshift roof. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, mark the date. (laughs) 
you thought I had some fucking bad ideas for this segment. And Jason has just taken the cake. Okay. <laughs> the roof. No, but I mean, I'd go watch it. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go watch it. I wouldn't go watch it. <laughs> Christian Bale, Daniel Day Lewis in the roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's raining. <laughs> we better build a roof. <laughs> It's the roof. You've already got the promo for it. Yeah, there you go. Into the crowd film presents. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. I don't think I can come back from it ever. Honestly, that's probably for the best, Jason. <laughs> I won't even try and explain myself. Yeah. See, kids, what's happened there <laughs> is, you know, if you just hang in there, if you just hang in there long enough, no matter how bad you are at a segment, eventually you'll win. And that, kids, is what's <laughs> happened to me today. And honestly, you cannot wipe the shit-eating grin off of my face right now. I am so pleased. Anyway, Jason, please take us away. Glad I gave it to you. We'll move on. I want to move on. Yeah, let's. Quick. I want to wrap this up because (laughs) I don't want to reflect on this anymore. So that does now bring us to the end of the episode, unfortunately. So would you like to share your social media handles and any other plans? places and platforms and avenues where our listeners can find you. Absolutely. You can find me if you happen to live in the Broken Hill area. um, Grab a copy of The Barrier Truth. It's a great newspaper. It's almost a part of the edge of the crowd um, media conglomerate at this point. Um, But anyway, before I delve too far into litigious um, statements, I think I'll move on. You can find me at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Stewie the Sports Guy. Um, I'm starting to throw together some EPL stuff for Edge of the Crowd too. So if you're uh, EPL inclined, go Liverpool. Um, Check those articles out. Jace, where can we find you, pal? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Jace Irves. You can also find me writing for The Barrier Truth, of course. If you've been listening to Goals on Film, you can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we'll be posting weekly video highlights after each episode. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also... View our website at www.edgeofthecrowd.com where we'll post sport, culture and politics articles and of course as it's coming up to the end of the Australian Open there will be a couple of Australian Open articles. Thanks for listening and we will catch you next week.